Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This podcast is brought to you by OneSkin. I first learned about OneSkin from my friend Heidi. She gave it to me as a present. She gave me the face product. And so I started to learn more about OneSkin, and they are really here to help you simplify your skincare regimen. It's founded by four PhDs dedicated to skin longevity. OneSkin proves that you don't need a complicated routine to achieve better skin. So I started with the face. I do use the eye one now, and I just got introduced to the body. But literally, it's only a few products. Their topical supplements make it easy to help your skin stay younger and healthier without all the extra steps. And how do they do that? Like, what is the secret? Well, they combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting-edge longevity science to create the world's most effective product to target skin aging. Now, OneSkin believes the purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, even though that's nice and that's probably the end goal, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process, since in fact that seems to be inevitable. And they created this next level skin care. So like I said, I have the skin, um, I've tried the body, but I use the skin and the eye. And what's the secret? They have a proprietary OS01 peptide. It's the first ingredient scientifically proven, there's that word again, to reduce the buildup of senescent cells, which are basically called zombie cells, and it contributes to skin aging. If you've heard about OneSkin and you're interested, for a limited time, our listeners will get an exclusive 15% off their first OneSkin purchase using the code GABBY at checkout. So it's more than skincare. It's about skin longevity, targeting the root causes of aging to help you look and feel your best at every age. You can get started today with 15% off by using the code GABBY and you go to oneskin.co. So that's 15% off at oneskin.co. That's O-N-E-S-K-I-N dot C-O. Don't forget to use the code Gabby. And after you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. So please support our show and tell them we sent you. It's time to expect more from your skincare routine. Invest in your health of your skin as well with one skin. This podcast is brought to you by Earth Breeze. And Earth Breeze is helping me handle one of my New Year's resolutions a little bit better. One of the things I wanted to do this year was see where I could consciously have less garbage and waste coming out of my home. So unlike liquid, powder, or capsule detergent, Earth Breeze, well, it looks like a dryer sheet, but what it is is an ultra-concentrated laundry detergent. So now you don't have to have these huge liquid jugs, part of the past. And the other great thing I used it for is one of my girls was traveling quite a bit. And this was something really easy. You just throw in your suitcase. If you have the time to do laundry, boom, it goes in there and it doesn't take up extra room. It's nice and flat. It's like in this flat envelope, so easy to use. And it's dermatologist tested, hypoallergenic. It's free of bleach and dye. So it's perfect for any load, whether you want to do some bedding or towels 
or even your delicates, and everything smells incredible and fresh, and they have a wonderful offer for you. So right now, my listeners can get started with Earth Breeze and save 40%. All you have to do is go to earthbreeze.com slash Gabby. That's earthbreeze.com slash Gabby for 40% off your subscription. If you get behind on your subscription or ahead, you can stop it, pause it. They make it so simple. That's earthbreeze, E-A-R-T-H-B-R-E-E-Z-E.com slash Gabby. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I have two guests today, stand-up comedian Duncan Trussell. He also has the Duncan Trussell Family Hour podcast. He had a show on Netflix called Midnight Gospel and his writing partner on a book called The Movie of Me to the Movie of We, which is Ragu Marcus. We get right into this conversation, so it might be confusing at first, but you will know quickly who is who. I always find that Duncan has a pretty identifiable voice. And he also, for me, feels like the hyper-intelligent everyman who's on the quest for not only enlightenment, but this idea of how do we reframe things? How do we keep the ego at bay truly and not just say, oh, you know, I'm being mindful now. And Raghu is this very steady voice of reason who has, you know, worked with Ram Dass and met so many powerful members um, in this community where he has the steadiness. And the two of them together created a book full of conversations. Like I stated earlier, the book of me, to the book of we where they don't always agree and so it's a great place to have the conversations and ask the questions like you know how do i do with the internal work while living in the external world or do we ever get it right or do we land or once you meet your guru are you there and i really appreciated the thoughtfulness but the realisticness in which they approach hey trying to do it better try to be a better citizen in the world and try to be part of the one and do the best that we can realistically and honestly and not just in some airy-fairy way or not even trying at all. So I hope you enjoy. Hi, everyone. Welcome to The Gabby Ree Show. Again, thank you for for joining me and and uh, you know I I listened to your book and I read the book and and what I really came away with of the movie from me and going to the movie of we between the two of you is you managed to have a really intimate and personal conversation around some you know oftentimes high minded and confusing ideas of of, you know, how are we our best internal selves and live in the world? And, uh, you guys really did that and achieved that with this, with this book. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, we have a guide posted and that's, his name is Ram Dass. So that helped us a lot. You know, all that stuff that Ram Dass has been working with over these decades around identity and role and believing in your story and all of it. I mean, he helped tons of people. Yeah. And Duncan, I couldn't help but think, I've watched you for a long time. There is a part of me where I'm like, oh, you're, you hit me differently, but you're almost like a modern day Terrence McKenna for me. Even like the the voice and sort of how unusual I, I was like, oh, I wonder if Duncan ever thought about that, that it's this person who is living in both places 
at the same time. Hmm. Well, I mean, you know, I think I hold Terrence McKenna in such high regard that I, and he's, his ability to articulate the experience of, of whatever that is, the psychedelic realms, it's, it's like his psychedelic. You read his books and you could be sober, but you start feeling like you're tripping because he's somehow would go into that zone and observe and then report back in a way that's really visceral and like you you just feel like you're there so i am flattered but he i'm just not there yet i don't think and and i like his consumption of psychedelics is right. terrifying to me terrifying <laughs> five dried grams and silent darkness no thanks uh no <laughs> i'll pass thank you yeah maybe that's why you didn't get there yet i don't know if i in your mind i yeah I probably Maybe we can, first of all, if, how did you guys decide you have your own relationship? How did you sort of decide, okay, we're going to, we're going to take this conversation on. Why did it feel so important? Well, it was already happening. I mean, we would just talk, you know, aside from doing podcasts and, you know, I met Duncan, I don't know, it's a dozen years ago, 13 years ago or something, after he had uh, had a, uh, a wonderful Skype session with Ram Dass and then got in touch with us and suggested the whole idea of doing podcasts. And here we are, you know, all these years later. And But it, at the same time, we, you know, just get on the phone or we hang out together when he was living in L.A. and just talked about the existencies. What's the word, Duncan? The, the I don't reality. know what that word is. It sounds great, though, and I want to learn it. I'm uh, going to pick it up and I'll get it to you. But, but the reality of how we were dealing with our lives and how we were uh, attempting to put one foot in front of the other on this path and called spiritual path, path of, of uh, self-discovery is probably the most simple and basic way to put it. And we were both interested and, you know, my decades of working on it and and Duncan's own really, really uh, uh, magnetic pull towards getting some of this stuff revealed. So we started recording these conversations. Some of them went on podcasts, some of them didn't. But then we had an idea, OK, this makes sense. We can use ourselves as guinea pigs for all of the neurotic stuff that we went through, how we got self-identified from the earliest days, you know, how we are living, we had lived this life of separation and how we see other people going through this. And so we thought that we would be pretty good examples of it. And then we had enough great teachers to be able to pull the kind of information that would help people uh, you know, move forward and get a little bit more balance in their day-to-day -day lives. We, we're very similar in that we like stuff to be not esoteric, but put into a vernacular that people can understand on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, very, very here and now. I, I think one thing Raghu and, 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 and a lot of people like him forget is that not everybody has had the experiences they've had. It's normal to them. It's normal that he got to meet. Well, I don't know. I, I don't mean to um, underplay it, but it's, it's a, they're used to, oh, they met Neem Crowley Baba. They traveled through India. He's friends with Ram Dass. 
Trudy Goodman, Jack Cornfield, and they've, you know, lived together forever. Whereas, you know, somebody like me, and especially when I met Raghu, I just uh, gotten testicular cancer. My mom had died. I, I was uh, at peak cynical, like peak fashionable cynicism, you know, where people think that like your cynicism is some sign of intelligence, but inside, you know, you're dumb. But if you act like you don't believe anything, you sort of feel power in this really sad, rotten way. So when I met Raghu, I was fully prepared for him to be a complete grifter. And and that was sad, but it's because I loved Ramdas so much. But I just basing, uh, meeting like i'd had bad experiences in the past and all of us have you meet somebody they're wearing a lot of beads and jewels and they're wearing all the right clothes and they're they seem so fancy they look the way you would expect the guru to look or a holy person to look and then they're just salespeople. so i thought that's what was going to happen when i met ragu and then i would just throw be here now out the window and forget about neem crowley baba and the whole thing so the conversation that you're hearing is one, as he mentioned, that we have been having for a long time, but that started off with me like either being like sort of aggressively cynical with him. And the reason I did that is because I thought if I can offend him, if I say the wrong thing and he says, you can't say that, then it's bullshit. You know, it, 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 it's, 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 it, it, that can't be real. I would say, I don't, you don't even remember. I'd say the most blasphemous things to you, just to test the waters. And one of the many things that impressed me was I never was flustered, never got upset, never admonished me or did any of the things you hear that people who are parading around as a, quote, spiritual person do. So the conversation you're hearing is, I like to think of it as a, a sort of a, a, a conversation that's always been happening between people who and I don't want to apply hierarchy to the spiritual path. That's so ridiculous. But people who maybe have had longer to study and be in the presence of teachers and people who haven't, and a kind of transmission happens there that I think is really, really wonderful. I feel like you both share your separate stories of me in the, in the book. And, and there's something, I, the other thing I really appreciated is because maybe Rego, you're very calm and it feels like, oh, he lives a pretty simple spiritual life. I always joke, I have, you know, a husband and three daughters and businesses. I go, yeah, I could be evolved if I lived quietly on top of a mountain. It's like, can I keep my shit together when I'm actually in the trenches, like with my yeah. family where I'm not objective and it means so much to you and, you know, all these things. But the fact that you did it together because Duncan, you say, okay, you came with cynicism, but in your story, you share that in a way you naturally also gravitate towards the questions. I do. Yeah. Yeah. So even as a, as a, as a kid, whether it's, you know, experimenting with drugs or the thing I really appreciated was the story about your brother, um, you know, living next to, uh, a, a church or temple with the Hare, Hare Krishna, Krishna temple. And him being so different and, and just even that openness from you. So I think both of you having these, okay, we're going to have these high-minded, deep ideas about consciousness and um, we're all connected. But how do I do this when I'm squeezed? When my neck is squeezed, I'm trying to 
go to work or pay bills or deal with screaming children or being sleep deprived. And yeah. I, I feel like you guys weave in and out of that in this book um, mm. quite a lot. Ragu, from your point of view, and you do share this in the book, there's moments where you, yeah, you, you're maybe you say, Hey, I'm not, I don't react my best. You know, the areas that you're still like, Hey, I'm kind of under construction here and I'm, I'm working on this. Are there, what is it in your life that you're still dancing with and how do you, what is, what does that practice look like? Everything. I'm dancing with it all <laughs> dealing with, you know, the stuff that we all deal with on a day to day, you know, anger, preferences, um, I'm drawn to comfort the way that we are, you know, in the West push away any kind of discomfort. You know, it's a lot about what it is that we are having big problems because of this and, uh, and all the way, you know, obviously around the environment, particularly, um, you know what the biggest thing, when someone says to me, well, you've been doing this for decades. So what the hell have you gotten out of it? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. And I'm like, okay, as Ram Dass said, uh, I still have all that neurotic shit going on. They're just little schmooze now. So I understand that best as to what happens to a person when they actually apply themselves because they can't stand being so unhappy and they actually apply themselves uh, to some of the tenets of the various mystical traditions that uh, allow for some kind of transformation. That transformation, in my case, is simply... There is a lot more spaciousness so that when something comes in to me from the outside or through thoughts or emotions or whatever, then absolutely I am not reacting the way that I have reacted in the past. And it's, it's been a gradual thing over time where that uh, reaction, reactionary day-to-day uh, -day thing is not, not what it was earlier in my life. So that you can count on, and that's part of the practice. And by the way, you, uh, Gabby, you, you talked about, yeah, basically having children and, a, you know, businesses and, and supporting a husband and so on. I mean, this is a lot. If I had, if I had that, uh, if that was gone, then I could be in a, you know, a much more connective state, right? Is kind of what you said. Let me, I'll, let me tell you one story that something like that, right? I, when I was in India all those years ago, I happened to um, be at the house or the mansion in Delhi of the High Commissioner of Canada. I'm Canadian. And I knew I, I was introduced to him and I needed a new passport, whatever. So he, he was getting me all of this. And in the middle of it all, uh, he was having a luncheon. He was a Buddhist with one of the great lamas of the last century. His name is Kalu Rinpoche. And he introduced me to him and a retinue of monks. We had lunch together, which was like blew my mind. And then they took me in uh, alongside of some Canadian journalists who asked him a bunch of questions that he absolutely did not respond to it was around what do you think of christianity or something i don't know anything about it it was that kind of a thing so they turned to me and said well why don't you ask him something so i asked pretty much 
what you spoke to, which was I've been living in the mountains and meditating, and it's just absolutely has been extraordinary, extraordinary states and peace and so on. But I'm in Delhi, and I'm like, it's a horror. <laughs> I'm completely caught in the world of of hmm. uh, transactional stuff in Delhi. And he said, no, you don't. Do I said, do I have to be in a cave to, to get to, you know, this piece? And he said, absolutely not. And he told me the story of the seven accomplished beings, they're called Siddhas in, in, in India, who each became realized through work through pottery, through, um, you know, weaving and so on and so forth. They all, he said, it's through the doing of whatever your karma or dharma dictates, through that you get transformed. Mm. So I'll never forget that and pretty tough to, you know, achieve that. But we do have tools and that's, you know, part of why we put this book together is we mention a lot of different potential tools like mindfulness. Can I throw something out in, in relation to the cave thing real quick? How many caves are there? <laughs> you know, there can't be enough caves for all the hippies who want to go live in a cave. Like you ever think about that? Like eventually you're going to have to like get on a waiting list for your spiritual cave because so many people have this fantasy. And, and it, I think, it's especially with environmentally, it's not going to be good for all the remote forests of the world if suddenly they are filled with flood, a flood of spiritualists looking to gain realization. And also, I think this when you have this hierarchical view, you know, and then you start beating yourself up because here, you know, we are in our normal lives. Here, you know, here we are like, uh, with screaming kids and supporting a family and a job, a, a business and all the other stuff. And, and that's hard enough, but now you're beating yourself up because you're not in some saffron robe hanging out in a butterfly garden somewhere where you think you're going to get realized. Well, I think that's a really sad way to be. And also it helps you procrastinate. Doesn't it? It's like if I, I'll start the real path when I'm in the cave and the incense is burning. This is a cave. Like I can't think of a darker cave than late stage capitalism. <laughs> like what a dark cave. This is the place we're supposed to be. I, if you ask me, and then in any way you trick yourself into thinking oh, around the corner, well, that's where I'm supposed to be. That is just another way to cling to your identity and torment yourself. The, this is it, man. This is it. When you're trying to use the bathroom and two toddlers are cop knocking on the door, dad, what are you doing in there? What is that? What is that? What are you? To me, that's where the rubber hits the road when it comes to getting a little space between uh, the way you might want to react and the way you should react when chaos is around you. Yeah, but don't you can't go too far that way. And forget about the reality of having to create some kind of space within which you are only with yourself and whoever it is from the Buddha to Christ to God knows what, to the divine presence, however it manifests. Have you ever heard this, Raghu? I'm sorry. Uh, this rabbi told me that they, that they, build, they built a temple in time.
because their temple kept getting destroyed. And so they built it, they found a place to build a temple that wasn't in the world. They built it in time. And uh, that's always stuck with me. And I get it though. I know puja table, incense, the pictures of the saints and all that. But I have people who live in a studio apartment with kids and they, they're like, where do I go to meditate? The bathtub. You, you might have to sit in the bathtub, but I, you know, so I think any attachment, I'm sorry, I, I'm not refuting what you're saying. It's nice to have a puja table, but I think any attachment to that stuff is. I don't care about a puja table. I care about you know just I mean. five minutes without anybody else around. There's just me right. going inside, whoever you want to put it. And uh, that can happen, you know, after the kids are in bed, you know, of course you're tired and whatever. Yeah, hey, worldly life is not easy. Family life is not easy. Yeah, it is easier for these wandering mendicants in, in in India or here in America, where there's plenty of people. I feel like we need those people, though. I always call them the concentrated tablet that you can throw in the water to remind us. Like, I don't fault those people. I think they're doing a different kind of work. And and I will say this as somebody who's already my youngest daughter is a junior in high school. I have never been more peaceful in my life after the chaos of raising teenage daughters because you had choices to make and you put practices in place because you were either going to be one kind of person or you're going to be another. So I, I agree with that, that the work is happening. Like you said, um, in the, in the chaos, because those are those real opportunities to go, Oh, okay. And, and, and listen, a car ride by yourself for 10 minutes, I call it active meditation. It's like, Hey, you check in, you can downregulate, yeah. you think about how am I, how would I like to be versus like, how am I being? Um, I, I really appreciate that. Duncan, for you, I'd love to know how you're balancing that external work. Cause you're, you know, everywhere and you're creating and doing stand up and, you know, all the things that you're doing and you have three young children and, and managing yeah. the internal work. Is it, is it like sort of seasonal? Like, Hey, this week I have more time to do that. It, you know, is it moving and changing whatever life's presenting you with? Yeah. Well, I, what I, I've figured some things out that for me just work, which is if I always have an audiobook going, some Pima children, going some whatever it is it does, really doesn't matter ne- neville goddard or any anything that is sort of uh, talking about the transcendent reality as long as i have that going and the my driving meditations as you call them then i i, I that's good for me i have to be careful because if i'm not doing that then i become reactive and the reactivity as all of us know leads to like the samsaric loops. So the you know I have really subscribed to the idea that um well Ramdas said it best when you're off the path that's the path too. And and and, and Sharon Salzberg says something that I have to remind myself all the time which is the healing is in the return. And so it's that moment where you've started telling the story of you're the prodigal son. You're now a pig farmer. You're this filthy thing. You've gone away from the light. Father, why have you forsaken me? And then the moment you remember, oh, I'm supposed to be here. This is the teaching right now. This this is the cave. And so I I try to, as, as long as I have friends like Raghu, my meditation teacher, David Nickturn, or 
you know, people around me, the community, and I'm actively like listening or reading some book that uh, points in the direction of the transcendent, then, then I'm more likely to remember that, oh shit, I've, I'm so sucked into myself right now. Oh my God, it's been two days and I have only been thinking about myself and what I want and what I need and how this is, what, where's my respect? Where is it? All that embarrassing ego stuff. Uh, it's nice to have reminders everywhere, everywhere, uh, whatever it may be to bring you back to that simple but profound truth, which is wherever you are, that's the path. That's where you're supposed to be. That's the curriculum. And then it's the most wonderful thing to keep popping in there. I would love to stay there, but I I can't. I don't. I'd love to, though. But and anytime I think I'm staying there, I don't know if you ever had this happen. I would love to know if you've had this happen. Have you ever thought maybe you got enlightened? Yeah. Right oh, no. You. No, I mean, the times that I can hear uncomfortable things from people I really care deeply about and I don't react internally, I I think of that as a win as far as like yeah. I had a moment where I I could just be in it. And so it wasn't about me, but that's about the only time it's shown up for me. Okay. You're smart. See, I'm a fool. I'm a professional fool. And, 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 and that's real. So like I, if I'm meditating, if I pull off three meditations in a row, there's an 80% chance somewhere. And I'm like, did I just get enlightened? <laughs> and I will, I'll, I'll go around in this foolish, like, oh, I think I'm in, this is what they're talking about in emptiness. Everything's empty. I see that. And then I'll be at the steam room of my gym and I will feel competitive with people who aren't staying in there as long as me. You know, this is, you know what I mean? Like the most egotistical thing. So I, uh, I would love to um, not keep getting embarrassed by my ego, but it just keeps happening. Like it's a, it's a real, like for me, this is not a, I'm a slow learner. I'm a real slow learner. Well, enlightenment, nobody even has any understanding of what that word really means. You know, it is beyond. And, and I love what the Dalai Lama says, which is basically he says, forget about enlightenment. How about just trying to be more kind and yeah. compassionate? That's enlightening. So when, you know, Gabby, when you said that, you know, stuff would go on that would normally might have really triggered you, you know, some somebody displaying awful behavior or whatever, saying awful things, and you didn't react, that is, that is enlightenment. That is, that is what we are aspiring for. We are, we are uh, looking to just be better humans. Just start there and then and then start to have a little bit more peace inside ourselves, which means we aren't reacting to stuff around us all the time. Right. Raghu, I, I think I think there's something really important. You know, I, I my husband, we've lived in a kind of a physical practice, if you will, for many, many years coming from athletics. Right. And what you learn once you come out of physical performance is actually 
the whole organism, how do you get that to respond better? So that means in all the ways, right? Not about being faster Mm. or being more, but about this, how do we respond to the best of our ability? And the thing that this book shows me is two people who have talked and thought a lot about this topic, reminding the reader or the listener that again, it, it's about, it's about something else than what people I think think enlightenment is about. It's, it's hitting the moments more often, like you said, or those, those explosions don't impact you quite as much, but it isn't about perfection. It's not about yeah. ever saying or being scared. And I, I really ap- appreciated that constant reminder throughout, throughout the conversations between the two of you. If someone was not connected to these materials, to Ram Dass or, or, you know, to a meditation practice or, anything like this, and they wanted to start, let's say, Raghu, from your point of view, because I think people, it can be daunting what I have to be quiet for a minute, I have to be still, you know, it's all these things that people put around it. What would be just a few of the invitations for you to be like, here would be an interesting way to start exploring this this path that we're going to keep moving off and on through our lives? Nothing is going to start you up unless you are really uh, depressed and pissed off about your day-to-day life and the way that you're involved with people and how you are acting and how you are reacting. Until you get to that place, nothing's going to happen. I mean, let me be clear. Many people have little sartorial moments where they have some breath, you know, which is what Duncan was talking about. You may, you know, there may be a meditation session that suddenly there's just freedom, spaciousness, not clinging, all Mm -hmm. of that, you know, and that happens and it happens to people and they go, okay, I want that in my life on a day-to-day basis. In my case, it was just abject terror of of (laughs) what was going on at the time when I was a teenager and so on. I got saved because of my love for music. You know, that's a whole other story. Uh, but the reality is there has to be that one thing that you, you just can't take it anymore and you want to do something about it. Or you actually have had some, as I said, sartorial experience that takes you out of normal consciousness and leads you to believe, okay, I can work on this and I can develop this more. The very first thing is, uh, in my mind, is mindfulness. You've got to start having an idea of your self-motivational factors, of the of your selfishness, of of your the the manipulations that we do to either protect our scene, uh, defend our scene, or uh, you know grope for something that's you know what we think is the answer for us in terms of it might be money, power, whatever it may be. Until you get a handle on how you are interacting on that level. Uh, you could meditate from here to eternity and nothing's going to happen. You, there has to be that that mindfulness. And for, for your listeners, Gabby, I have to do a commercial for Joseph Goldstein, yeah. who wrote a book called Mindfulness. And is the, I mean, he's, the three of them, him and Jack, Jack Cornfield and Sharon Salisbury, you know, been, we've been friends for a long time, but Joseph particularly has a grasp of this and that book is phenomenal and uh 
Yeah, it's so great. I think we're thinking now that we have to have a Joseph Goldstein mindfulness course on Love, Serve, Remember. That would be cool. Yeah. Um, So mindfulness to start with. And then it's whatever you gravitate towards. You know, I mean, it could be a physical uh, practice, yoga. It, and or just walking in nature is a wonderful practice, you know, forest bathing, they call it in Japan. Meditation might be your thing. Chanting might be your thing. Just meeting up with with a group of people who are one, you know, like you, minded towards wanting to expand out of the little me. And you realize that and you want to spend time with people who are like minded. I think those are the most simple, basic places to start. And those can, I actually think what you're saying is, you know, it's like anything, the foundation where it's really, it never really moves too far from all that stuff anyway, (laughs) even when you're deep into the, into the practices. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Maybe you've been thinking of starting therapy. Well, let me share with you why giving better help a try might be so helpful. First of all, it's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, it's flexible, and it's suited to your schedule. I know a lot of people are busy and they're running all over and it's sort of like, I can't add one more thing. Well, they make it very easy. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get you matched with a licensed therapist. And let's say, for example, you get going and you think, "Mm, this person is great. I'll stick with them. If not, you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. I know for me personally, I have used therapy, especially in my parenting. I didn't have certain tools. You know, it's one of those things where it's kind of a moving target. Maybe you didn't learn it at home or it's just, you need somebody from the outside to give you that perspective. And I found it so helpful because not only was it a way to get my feelings out, but having a licensed therapist that gives you productive and constructive uh, cues and ideas to kind of send you off back into your life um, with the opportunity to work on it. And maybe, you know, you're single or you're thinking of being in a relationship or you are in a relationship. A lot of times the most productive thing we can do is work on ourselves. And I was told once by a friend of mine that is a highly qualified therapist, if you want to change your environment, change yourself. And BetterHelp is really just an incredible opportunity to do that. And it doesn't have to be anything catastrophic. Maybe you just need some place to to talk and vent in an objective environment, no matter what you're dealing with, if it's something at work or family relationships, personal relationship, whatever that is. So If you would like to visit BetterHelp and you are interested, if you put it slash GR today, you will get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash GR to get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp dot com slash GR. This podcast is brought to you by Bionic Shoes. I got my first pair of Bionic Shoes, I guess about four months already, maybe almost five months ago. And since then, I've gotten at least two more styles and given my daughter the Georgie Mule as well. But I got the Willa slip-on flat. So this is a beautiful essential flat. I mean, I am tall, so flats really work for me. And it 
gives you this beautiful materials with a very supportive footbread. So if I've got to walk around for hours all day, my feet aren't sore. They've got over 12 colors. So it goes with any outfit. And I also got the Uptown Loafer. I was traveling yesterday and I like to wear footwear where I feel like I'm protected. You know, when you're at the airport running around, it's kind of dirty, there's people, um, but so comfortable because Vionic really started in functional footwear. So no matter what, you know that your feet are going to be feeling rested and not sore no matter how long you wear them. However, they use incredible materials, great styles. So your foot looks cute. I mean, listen, let's face it. We want the best of both worlds. And the other part of this is I have a size 12. So they have a ton of styles in a size 12. I don't have to cram my foot into anything. All the styles come in an 11 and they have a great offer for you. For starters, they offer a 30-day guarantee, wear them, love them, or return them for a full refund within 30 days. So you can figure out, hey, these work for me, goes with my clothing, my lifestyle. And if you use the code Gabby at checkout, you'll get 15% off your entire order. And all you have to do is go to vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. And it is a one-time use only. That's vionicshoes.com, V I. O-N-I-C-S-H-O-E-S.com and use the code Gabby at checkout for 15% off your entire order. This podcast is brought to you by Maui Nui Venison. I know a lot of us try to figure out, hey, not only how are we trying to eat better, how do we get more protein, enough protein, but good protein. And Maui Nui Venison is the only stress-free, 100% wild harvested red meat on the market. I first got it as a thank you gift. Someone sent it to me and I thought, this is you know, incredible. It shows up at your door. It's so easy to use. And I myself became a member and I'm not joking. In fact, today I got my box and I pulled a couple pieces out to defrost for dinner tonight because I love this brand. The meat tastes incredible. It's not gamey. It's tender. I use it like I prepare any other meat, um, but then some other great things. In about 55 calories, 10 grams of protein. So that shows you how nutrient dense the meat is. And if you'd like to grab a membership, they've got an incredible offer for you today because again, it's it's so hard to find something like this where it's 100% stress-free and wild harvested. They've got very limited memberships. They offer them during their monthly restocks. It will be the only way you can guarantee access to this kind of protein by becoming a subscriber. So if you'd like to visit MauiNuiVenison.com slash Gabby to take advantage of this limited time offer and get 20% off your first order, including your first subscription. So make sure to get on the notification list so you are ready when memberships are released. That's MauiNuiVenison.com slash Gabby. M-A-U-I-N-U-I-V-E-N-I-S-O-N.com slash Gabby for 20% off your first order, including your first subscription. Enjoy. Duncan, I, I have to say, I when I read that you, you like to chant and do these things. And, you know, you do have a very specific pitch in your voice. <laughs> yes. You mean deep, resonant, powerful? <laughs> I was like, I, I was yeah. like so curious about like, I thought, oh, that must be amazing 
to hear? And do you do that privately? Do you like, I just, I loved, I just had a lot of fun in my mind um, thinking of you, you know, chanting and such. With my presidential voice? (laughs) It's like hearing a president chant. It's amazing. I know I get that all the time. Um, I get that all the time. Yeah, it's I, I know because like when I listen to myself chant, it's like listening to the, like all the great world leaders at the same time. That yeah. deep, powerful, commanding voice. Yeah, it's intense. I I uh, I, I try not to do exhibitionist style chanting, you know. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, so usually if I'm doing it, it's uh, in, I, I think it's in my mind. Like if I have my mala beads. I'll just be, I'll just hear Ram, 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 Ram in my, in my mind. Sometimes if I'm cleaning, I'll sing Hare Krishna. You know, it's usually a spontaneous thing for me, not as disciplined as I would like it to be. But, you know, Raghu, in the, you know, in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna says, you know, here are the types of people that come to me. And it's not just miserable people. When, and one of them is that the, people seeking gold. And this is something that I really love like about um, sort of the Eastern cosmology versus the Western cosmology. Western cosmology, there's this potential for blasphemy. You know, you're, you're going to infuriate God. You're going to do something wrong. But the Hare Krishnas, what I loved about them is whatever way you reach out is good, including being angry at God. Many of like the great devotees started off trying to kill Krishna and try, tried to. In fact, Krishna, it's considered has two moms. Uh, one of them, his like mother, mother, the other, a demon who wanted to kill him and snuck in when he was a baby and, and tried to feed him poison, like breastfeeding him. And so he sucked all the poison out of her. And it, she became like a great devotee of Krishna because, because of that direct contact with the divine. So though I do think, you know, the recognition that you don't have to be in a never ending loop of uh, a reactive loop of being angry or resisting or fighting everything or trying to arrange your phenomena to like meet some ridiculous standard. That is true. That is a good way to, to be inspired to start uh, meditating or looking into stuff. But the manifestation stuff that many of us roll our eyes at, you know, that can also lead you to, to what the Hare Krishna's called the higher taste, which is it's the, 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 the encouragement or what drives you is that you get this little glimpse of something that you can't buy that is better than money and cars and all the stuff and better than anything, anything. And then you naturally start gravitating towards that stuff. You know, it's kind of like, do you want to go to Sizzler or do you want to go to some four star incredible restaurant? And once you start tasting food like that, the other stuff, it it just doesn't scratch the itch quite as much. So Raghu, I agree with you. I think you and I, what we have in common is, is, is we just recognize our own neurosis and how awful and annoying that is. You know, you have a weird voice. Your voice, it sounds high-pitched, shrieky, shrill. So you're double annoying compared to me because I have this powerful voice. 
You know what I mean? But I think if you're a neurotic, it's not just that you're tormenting yourself. Everyone around you is being tormented too. And, and so we both got into it, I think, via that recognition. But I, I, would, I just want to put a word in. You don't have to be some depressed, neurotic, middle-aged, whatever we are to like start meditating. There's lots of other ways in. Or depressed, neurotic, 17-year-old. That's kind of what I was uh, yeah. referring uh. to. But no, you're right. Absolutely right. I know tons of people that that was not the case. And I said there, there's some kind of bit of opening, Satori, that happens for people right. that leads them to yeah not you know, want to go to the five-star hotel to eat rather than, you know. Yeah. The, right. So that's absolutely true. I, I can even speak personally that I... I'm not, I mean, I'm sure I have different things about uh, kind of control or security, but I think for me at a really young age, I sort of intuitively felt there was a real way that the world worked and law, like greater law from a greater place or a greater yeah. force. And it, it motivated me. And also I was afraid to go against it. So it wasn't just like, oh, I'm drawn to be better. It was actually truthfully like, oh, I, I don't want to poke that bear. You know, like I want to try to mm. learn how to be do the, the best I can and do the work and have the practice. Because for me, the law was so clear, you know, wow. like north and south, um, I don't, I don't know if that makes sense, but, um, it, it's not maybe the best motivation either, but it was, a, it was different. Absolutely. That's good. I, you, yeah. You're not a fool. You look and you see there's natural law. There's a kind of metaphysical exactly. reality here, you know, and you, you, and you're, you, you, that's smart. That's wisdom. Whereas like people like us are like, yeah, maybe there is, but let's see if I do everything wrong over and over again, what happens? <laughs> <laughs> but Duncan, you you have interesting parents. I mean, they went through a lot of different things, and you know, I always say we have the example sometimes of what not to do. But somehow, the law I could see it play, being played out by the adults in my life early, and it looked yes. really, really difficult. Um, also, I want to add something that what Ragu said, and this is like really um, calculated. So if I, if I look at like Duncan, the more the work that you've done, right. And, um, it feels to me, and I, I know this is, this is like, again, calculated, but it feels like the more work you've done that actually your life, if I just looked at it from a, a external position as somebody who can track you a little bit with your career, um, yes. And the fact that you have a family, okay, kids, it almost seems like because you've done more of the work and moved closer into your essence that you've actually become more successful. And I think sometimes people think it's like you're, and I don't mean successful, but more yourself, which yeah. then brings a, you know, a life that reflects you, which I, I think is a great thing. But I think sometimes people think that by not being as ego driven or not being, you know, of me oriented that somehow we still won't get this opportunity to express and create and, and do all these incredible things. Yeah. That's sad. Yeah. I gotta, I, so one of my friends invited me to, there's a racetrack here and I, I went to this, it's not my thing. I'm mean, there's never a car person, but how do you pass up driving on a, on a, a racetrack in fancy cars? So, and I'm a terrible driver. 
Uh, so I didn't really do a lot of driving there and the driving I did, I'm, I still was terrified, but there was this, uh, Indian man there who let me ride in this insane, I think it was a Ferrari he had, and I've never gone that fast in my life. And it is the craziest feeling. But when we got in the car, he had to put something in his glove box. And do you know what's in there? A picture of his guru. And so... Uh, in so we had this wonderful conversation about what mantra he chanted and he was like asking me how often I meditated and I'm like sporadically and he was like I, I meditate twice a day as we're zooming around this racetrack in a super insane car and it and so that was it, it was a beautiful thing to me because the the truth is get the go get the stuff like if you can get the stuff get the stuff get the stuff. Don't beat yourself up because you want stuff. Get the stuff, you know, but you will find out the very cliche thing, which we all hear over and over again, but don't believe it's not going to do anything for you. You're going to feel the sit. You're going to get distracted by it for a second. And then you're going to be right back to where you were before. And, and so I, yeah, I don't, I, I think that if you're inspired, if you're into the grind culture thing, whatever it is, that is a path too. And just as long as you mean like work on mindfulness and awareness and being honest with yourself about how you are internally and, and, and how does that compare to where you are externally, uh, then I think that can be an incredible teaching actually getting at and getting everything you want. I wish there was enough resources in the world that we had matter uh, assimilators so that everyone suddenly could get everything they wanted and have that terrible feeling <laughs> where you're looking around at all your stuff and you're still miserable and you spent decades getting the stuff here. You know, the Dalai Lama, I, I, he, I, I heard he was giving a talk in Beverly Hills or something in some mansion. And the way he started off was saying, you know, you, you have all these things. I went to use the bathroom. I opened the medicine cabinet. So many sleeping pills, so many sleeping pills. <laughs> so it doesn't work. It, if it worked, oh my God, we would like, think of all the billionaires in the world that we would have no social problems. They'd be giving all their money to improve the planet. They would be, and they'd be so happy. You know, they, they, they wouldn't be burrowing down to build bomb shelters, fighting each other on Twitter, you know? So clearly achieving that stuff doesn't seem to, um, sure doesn't bring, does bring the happiness people think that it does though. It's fun. And I highly recommend it. If you can do it, go for it, go for it. If that's the way you need to learn, that's the way you need to learn. Yeah. And that's the one thing, of course, everybody is running off karma and, and i know yes. it's a hard concept it's not just about you pop me in the face i'm going to pop you back you know it's much more subtle and complex than that we talk about it in the book the the law of karma and uh i i so that unfolding is very is of course completely individual and it's different for every person but i will say you know when we talk about what are the motivations to uh to more for more self-discovery for more balance in one's life as we've been talking uh, i there's so many different ways in which that happens and as duncan said it's not just about being miserable a teenager and then looking um, but at the same time every one of us everyone on this planet except 
for maybe Joseph Goldstein, <laughs> believes their thoughts, believes the story, their story. Every one of us, not 24-7 necessarily, but for many people, of course, it is 24-7. And that is a reality that we, I think is, uh, I think it's really one of the best things we accomplished in the book is setting out that reality and that perspective that can absolutely change. And once that perspective, you know, it's, it gets reframed. I think we reframed that perspective in the book. And I think that's uh, super important for people to understand. Obviously, Ramadas is a huge influence. And there's a part where he does talk about this balance between the heart and the mind. Right. It's not it's not like, OK, it's all heart and no mind. Um, and mm -hmm. I, you know, I think most of us are needing to move more from the mind to the heart, I, I would think, in yeah. this world. Um, maybe we could just share the thoughts on that. Yeah, that's one great thing that Ramdas did towards the end of his life. He came up with this teaching called loving awareness. I am loving awareness. And it was a way for people you know, you, you move from this place that you're, this is the I, this is everything that operates, the me, me on a daily basis, and take, you know, three breaths into the center of your chest and repeat, I am loving awareness. And then suddenly a little bit of spaciousness, spaciousness immediately happens. And then the next thing you know, you aren't judging every thought. You want, you know, you're much more, oh, okay, it's real. And that, perspective is hugely important. And that is the merging of, of, of mind and heart is really about everything that we, meaning me and Ramdas and Duncan and Next Gen, everything that's represented is about the merging of the mind and the heart. And it's not the mind that is the I that's judging, believing in their thoughts, believing in their stories. And it's a very specific uh, merging uh, that we have represented uh, over all these years, these retreats that we do, Duncan and I have been doing in Maui for many years with Jack and Ram Das and Krishan Das and so on. Uh, it is a wonderful commingling of the heart and discriminating wisdom that Buddhism is so effective at. I'm curious because, you know, a lot of times I think we're good at it and then we'll see something unfair. We'll see politicians acting be badly. Uh, we're, uh, you're like, I'm, I'm one with everybody, but definitely not that guy. Like I am not one, yeah. with him, you know, or yeah. um, even people like, I'd imagine you do these retreats and they're like, we're, we're not going to be jiving with every person. Um, and Duncan, you talk about the kind of the, this, it's also like there's processes within it, right? It's not like, I guess what I'm, I'm trying to get people to understand is, yes, we are all connected and we are all one, but then within it, sometimes we're, it's almost like we're allowed to be in these spaces where we hold kind of sacred space for ourselves. You go to these retreats, they're yapping about meta and compassion for all these people and on and on. And it sounds absolutely insane. When you first start hearing it, it sounds unachievable. Like it's the most ridiculous stuff you've ever heard. Um, 
God, it used to really eat me up because like in, the inevitably you get this meta thing and it's like, imagine compassion for the whole universe. And you're like, what are you, what is that even, what is the whole universe? But what, you know, again, slow learner, um, you, you, you realize you're missing a step. I was missing a step. The step is you have to have compassion for your, you're in the universe too. You're part of the universe too. When they, when they, they, they say the prayer, you know, may all beings uh, be at peace. May all beings have a roof over their head. May all beings have food. You're one of those beings. And, and, you know, that you're talking about, I was excluding myself from all beings, meaning because it's somewhat, at least the mind will tell you, it's easier to sort of imagine some pseudo compassion for the universe, but try being compassionate for you, where you are right now. No, because no one knows more about you than you. And you know what you did. You know, all the things you've done and you know, you know, the, the hypocrisy, the mediocrity, the failure, all of it, you know, all of it. So if you can't figure out a way to love that and not BS like, okay, you you did great, I guess, but to really love it. And that's what Ramdas was teaching. You know, that's, you have to start there. That's the hardest part. Because once you, I think, can get enough space and truly forgive yourself and love yourself, not in some narcissistic, indulgent way, but in the sense of uh, aligning yourself with the reality that everything is fundamentally good, that, that, and that's part of you. So now instead of look, being inside looking out, you're outside looking in, and then the outside and the inside, the boundary between the two, it starts melting down a little bit. And, and, and then maybe you can start being compassionate for the person at the retreat who clearly has COVID and is hacking away during the morning meditation. Maybe then you can do it <laughs> or for whoever, but you have to, you really have to start with yourself. And that's bad news, you know, for a lot of us, because that's the place you don't want to start. The good news is, yes, you have to start with yourself and you at the same time have to start with everyone around you. There's good no luck. Way. Yeah, good. well, you gotta Good do luck. Uh, you do, you do, you know, then you're doing the fake. Oh, I do feel compassion for you. No, you don't. You're a numb husk. You haven't felt anything in years because you've just burrowed up into your mind and you live in this terrible hoarder's house in your head where you're, you're where you desperately are, are, are trying to evade the heart. Cause you know, we hear about the heart over and over and over again. And everyone acts like it's the garden of Eden down there. But it's like, yeah, to get there, you the vulnerability, the exposure, feeling completely exposed, not safe, having to like it feels if you're a mind person like I have been the heart, no way it's the worst and it hurts and you don't. And I'm telling you, if you try to get people to come to your retreat, starting off saying that. Like, do you want to feel completely exposed, vulnerable, absolutely helpless because all your defense mechanisms have vanished for a moment? Come to this retreat. It'll be great. Raghu, you did say a quote, though. This is reflective of what Duncan's saying in the book by Ram Dass, which is, I myself stand in need in the arms of my own kindness. Mm, I love that quote. Oh, my God. It's so beautiful. Will you say that again? Will you say that again? It blurred out for me. In the book you guys created, um, 
Ram Dass said, I myself stand in need in the arms of my own kindness. Oh, yeah, that's it. And that's really what it's all about. And, you know, well, Ram Dass put political people on his altar and, and you know, including all the way through where we are, you know, from Casper Weinberger or whatever to Trump. And, and I actually would go to him and say, you know, I don't know. I don't think I can do that. Yeah. I, I mean, how do you do that? He said, I am not looking to the personality. I am looking to the soul. Yeah. And that is what I'm relating with. Yeah. Personality, well, you got a tough incarnation, he said. <laughs> yeah. So that is a that is what I mean when yes, you've got it you've got to nurture compassion for yourself, but it's not like you can wait until that happens before you uh, enact it with people, even if you're full of shit, Duncan, and you don't really feel compassion for that person, it's a beautiful way to uh be mindful of that and see where you're not, you know, agree to disagree. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, how do you guys know when the book is, is like, you go, okay, it's, we're good. We're done. Cause this is a big topic. Like, how do you know it's, it's ready? Well, we've been, we continue, we've been doing podcasts, you know, talking about it. I talk to people, Duncan talks to people. It's never done. It's never done. No, it's it's like uh, this path isn't a matter of getting somewhere and then you're done. I mean, we're talking about some. I mean, I see. I look back. You know, I have more purview than you guys. Obviously, looking back decades that I started on this uh, on a path of uh, self discovery, which sounds very mindy weird. It's not the reality. The reality is, I met somebody who who was no longer polarized. I've never met a non-polarized being in my life. From then, I mean, I met a, after him, I met a couple, but you know, of these extraordinary beings, there's no more me and you. And I thought, wow, okay, he's human. It's possible. We can get to a place where we are not so separate and isolated. It is possible. Yeah. And Really, that conversation continues ad infinitum. When I when I met Ramdas the first time, I asked him, "Are you my guru?" And he goes, <laughs> "He goes, yes. Now what?" <laughs> and it was the best response. But in that that to me, I always think about that because it's like, okay, now what? Great, you met Neem Karoli Baba. Now what? Mm -hmm. Oh wow, you had a transcendent epiphanous moment on five dried grams of mushrooms where interdimensional beings healed your trauma. Now what? And that's always the question. And, and, uh, it's such a brilliant, you know, he was so good at being very like giving these little koans and the way he would communicate because in wrapped up in the idea of finding your guru, there's this hope. Okay. Then I can retire. Like I'm done. It's over. I'm finished. And it's never done. As long as we're here and the bardo of becoming, it, it's never, it, this is, this is human incarnation. So yeah, in this conversation, the one we're having right now, it's going to go on for as long as there's human beings on the planet. And, and I, and I love it. I, I love, I love that the book never ends. Oh, just speaking to 
uh, oh yeah, you, you go and you have an experience, you meet a guru or whatever it is, and then you're done. That's the end of it. Well, congratulations. Exactly, yeah. That's what I thought when I met Neem Karoli Baba, the, exa- the first second I thought, okay, I'm home. I'm done. I know everything. And then, then as time went on, I realized, oh my God, the karma that is spinning off that I have to go through is endless. Absolutely endless. Yeah. So. Yeah. I don't think there's, you, you've, it, I mean, I know I, uh, yeah, I, I think for some people, maybe there is a possibility of extinguishment. Isn't that what they call it, Raghu? The blowing yeah. out of the candle, like truly like burning off all the karma, but. And for Gabby, I mean it, you might be almost there, but not everyone, like, I don't think we're. I observe myself daily and and I'm always amazed how I rebite so many of the hooks that I've bitten day to day. I can't believe I'm like, oh, there she goes again. I, there's no way. I, I mean, what I have going for me is a drive to do the practice, but it isn't in any way. I, you never, you know, get there. And, and one thing I am curious about for, for you, Duncan, as somebody who has a lot of knowledge in this area and has a practice. And because the thing for me that's been so interesting is the neck, I always say sort of like uh, my husband, Laird always jokes that, oh yeah, kids are so that we actually grow up, right? They're for the parents to grow up. It's like another kind of school. That's cool. And shit, that's right. Because they're going to grow up, right? If whether we do an okay job or we're dysfunctional or whatever, because parenting is what it is as parents, you, you're going to do certain things right and certain things wrong and you pass down certain things and, you know, goes yeah. on. but I'm curious because the, it's like, we know worry doesn't do any good. We know, you know, kind of pro- trying to project to the future is futile. And I'm just curious for you because you might be really good for yourself, like in your craft and all these things sort of being like, Oh yeah, I, I know how to, the attitude in which to approach this when it comes to your children. I'm, I'm curious if you've had to kind of add anything into your practice to try to keep that same attitude, even about them and them growing up and their safety and their well being and all those things. I had, gosh, he's such a wonderful musician. Uh, Devandra Banhart on my podcast and he practices uh, Vajrayana Buddhism. And I asked him like, you know, how do you balance, you know, the life of a like famous musician with this practice? And he said, I don't see a difference between the two. There's no, there's no difference there. And, and, and so for me, the, the parenting part and the, whatever you want to call my practice and the, you know, my job as a comedian or podcaster part you know, I, I really work hard on not trying to differentiate any of it. You, you know, one thing is always going to connect to the other in some way. And really just sort of reminding myself again and again, what my meditation teacher told me, it's some like sub, like a sandwich restaurant. David's so smart. And, you know, a lot of these teachers, they push stuff under the door in this really subtle way. They know what they're doing and they know you're going to think about it forever, but I remember he just looked around and he goes, you know, it's all a temple, right? Like everything's a temple. And, you know, I, I, I can't forget that. And anytime you start thinking, oh, now I'm in the temple, but that place isn't the temple. Now I'm in the sacred space. That is not a sacred space. That that's when you're, you, you, you end up 
causing a lot of problems for yourself. Because the whole thing, the whole thing is a temple. And it, you're right. They, our children are teaching us way more than we are teaching them. Way more. And, uh, it, and it's, we're so lucky that they decided to let us be their parents. They And whoa, what a roll of the dice that they chose us. Like, whoa, like you had so many parents you could have picked from. Whoa, I hope that's a big bet. And so, you know what I mean? I think that as long as I remember that and try to stay in the moment with them, I feel okay. And 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 last thing I'll say about it, I learned from this karate teacher who actually is teaching the parents in the karate class, I think more than the kids. Um, he said, isn't it funny sometimes that people will yell that you should be quiet? <laughs> and, and you know what I mean? And w when you're teaching kids, yes, you're teaching them like, that's what a, what kind of tree that is or why, what the stop sign means. But really what you're teaching them is how to act, uh, how to, how, how to, in everything you do, you're teaching them every, the way you are showing intimacy to your partner, the way that you are showing frustration and also your ability to apologize. You know, whenever I've like lost it, you know, I make sure that I apologize and say, I was angry. People get angry. People get frustrated. I'm so sorry. I don't, I'm working on it, you know? And to me, that's the best I could do. And I, but, and I feel guilty. Do you get, I'm sorry. Do you get, get parent parental guilt, Gabby? You ever feel like I could be doing so much better. I'm, I'm a mom. Don't you know, like moms, yeah. am I spending too much time? Not enough time. Am I too mean? Am I yes. not enough? I mean, it, the, well, okay. So actually I'm friends with uh, Byron Katie and um, Katie, I've said this many times, two things. Listen, really listen. Don't fix their problems. Yeah. Um, and I will say as when you have teenagers and girls are very oftentimes very different than boys, they, they are more talkative, especially, you know, they sort of share in the car. So what I would say is also insert as they get older permission to ask questions because you want, you sort of want to keep them talking to you, but you don't want to just kind of chime in. Um, so really listen without fixing their problems, even little kids, like little, like I'm yeah. just, you can't be like, well, it's going to be fine. You just go, oh, I could see where that's hard. And they'll keep talking. Yeah. And the other second thing that's was cool. try to make yourself, whatever the word happy means. I don't mean it like, yay, I'm happy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like full happy, um, right. best of your ability. So they know, they see what it looks like. Cool. I love it. And after that, every day, every second is a guess. Like I am, I, I know. And sometimes I look at Laird and I know he's looking at me like, and I think, oh, he's looking at me because he doesn't agree with that decision. You know, like it's constant. It's a constant dance. And it it's something I'm grateful for because you either will choose to react differently to it or you just torture yourself your whole life. So you have to get new skill, new tools, right? Yeah. Yep. That's another way for us to jump in and have intention, right? You two are like an old married couple, too. It's really good for the <laughs> content. <It's> unbelievable. <laughs> is I would I have, marry Ragu in a heartbeat. It's like, I respectfully disagree. It's like, Oh, really? Um, so moving on, I just, 
quickly, I'm curious about for you, because you are a very creative person and with technology and creativity and even like taking your podcast and, and putting into Midnight Gospel on Netflix, it's like, um, has this, how has this been for you, the learning curve on kind of how there's new ways to use your creativity? Mm. I mean, there is a direct, for me, there's a, and I, and I know you're not, I understand why, like, one, don't meditate to get this or that. And uh, Bhagavad Gita, you have a right to your action, not the fruits of your action. But man, learning how to calm my mind down, get into like a a, a space where I'm not judging everything, it, it produces a higher chance of like spontaneous epiphanies, you know, like I, when, the, as opposed to sort of, Getting like I've heard Chogyam Trumpa talk about this, which is that you you either are, are going to get really technical, which means that you haven't been working in the present moment. And so I don't I don't know if you experience that. Like I know like whenever I'm arranging chords or like trying to like organize my office or all these like technical, technical things, that feels completely different from when I'm making stuff that I love. And and that space that that feeling seems to happen more if I am uh, actively practicing, if I'm meditating, if I'm learning how to be in the moment. I think all great, great ideas come from I don't know where. Just but emptiness. Yeah, emptiness. It's like I've, I've just I've been listening to Rick Rubin's book, um, The Creative Act, and yeah. he calls it a vacuum. It's like finding a way to get into that vacuum. That's where the great epiphanies happen. So it certainly helps. Okay, well, Duncan, thank you for your time. I'll finish up with Raghu, and uh, and I really appreciate. Thank your- you. I'm sorry. Don't worry. A lot. Thank you, Gabby. I'm sorry. You're awesome. Thanks for the parenting tips. I'll take them with me to the grave. Thank you. Just talk about it. No tips. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Bye. See you later. Uh, yes. So, Raghu, I didn't mean to cut you off before. So we were we were talking about. Um, you know, the parenting and, and, uh, yeah, the parenting thing. so uh, I, it would have been good if he was here, but I'll tell you the story. I was with him and his baby was, uh, first son Forrest was about eight months old and he's holding the baby out in front of him. And he says in the most beautiful, tonally beautiful voice, Oh, Forrest, I just want you to know, unless you love me, I'm not going to love you back. Forrest. <laughs> I cracked up in that moment. It just happened. He just did it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, no. So our, our awareness around this stuff is, is, is very important. Well, and you know, the thing is, I, I funny enough, I was raised by um, a couple that weren't my parents for a few years. And uh, they were both from New York. And she was very sarcastic. Like she'd say, like, go play in traffic, kid, you know, like joking around. But through mm-hmm. some of her humor, like, go away, don't go away mad, though. I felt actually uh, like loved even deeper because there was no doubt. She wasn't putting on forth this role also of like, I love you so much. It was like, I love you so much. I can actually joke around with you. That's how much I love you. You know, that, that humor. Um, Rego, you talked, there's a beautiful part in the book about um, a book of proof of heaven. You, you, I thought this was really, 
Yeah, Ebenezer Alexander, something I think. Yes, a, a yeah. doctor. Um, yeah. And and so maybe you could just share why that that book was important to you. Well, actually, in in on mind rolling on the podcast that I, that I do, I have been uh, talking to uh, quite a number, and Ramdas was very interested in near death experience, basically. That cat, and I talked to many people, and he, he including he. he uh, even, and, uh, the wild thing is that every one of these people that had these encounters, either personally, some of them I, I interviewed that did, you know, large experimental stuff with many people getting their stories of it, it was all the same. There was some concrete, the sameness, what happened as people went out of their corporeal bodies into what the Tibetans called the bardos, the liminal spaces, and down the tunnel, seeing the light, seeing people that you, you know, part of your family or soul pod, as Ramdas would call it. I mean, it was extraordinary. And all of it, though, in all of it, they all said, my God, I never felt so loved as I did in that moment. And so, you know, there was, uh, to me, it's a real wonder to, uh, Ramdas did this work all his life around normalizing death. This is not our enemy. This is part of life. And, and these near-death experiences, people experience the beauty of it. Yeah, of course, there's attachment. We're going to have to let go of so much in that moment. But I think it's... Um, it's worthy for, that's why I love doing them. And that's why Ramdas, we used to talk about it all the time. You know, just the commonality of people's experiences around the beauty of, of the movement. Now there's scary stuff too, which is, you know, I'm dead. What, you know, that kind of a thing. But uh, yeah, uh, I find that a great uh, genre to talk to people about Raghu, thank you so much for your time and the book again, and, and people can get it. And again, I, I, I listened to it as well, which was fine because both of you are going back and forth and it really does oftentimes feel like this type of conversation, which allows people to interact with the information differently. So from the movie of me to the movie of we, and then can you also direct people because you do have a podcast and so many other things to all the places that they can find you and and learn more about the things that that you share and teach and talk about sure um first of all as far as the audiobook just go to movieofme.com simple and there's samples there there's our whole story and so on and so forth and and that makes and and as you can tell you guys that are listening guys and gals that are listening to gabby's podcast I mean, Duncan and I have a real um, unusual relationship, and, and it's based on a lot of trust and a sense of wanting to share. And, uh, you know, I think that that makes the, the book all the more uh, appealing. Aside from, you know, there's some good stuff in there and makes people think and, you know, reimagine a little bit of a perspective. Other than that, and for Duncan, the Duncan Trussell Family Hour, please go and, and catch his podcast. Mind is mind rolling on the Be Here Now Network. We have Ramdas's Be Here Now Network, podcast network. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash mind rolling. There you are. I've talked to 
extraordinary people from llamas to uh, uh, incredible musicians and so on. And uh, I'm so happy to meet you, Gabby. That's really more of the point. Thank you, Raghu. And I have to ask one final question because I, I feel like it's on the hearts and minds of everyone. And, and technology has really, I was saying to Laird, we were talking about it. We, we sit at the counter in the morning and just kind of spend, a, you know, 30 minutes having a coffee and just visiting um, in the morning. And I said, you know, it's interesting technology and how small the world has gotten has accelerated so many things that are happening in the world. Um, but it's also, it's sort of exposed all of us to a lot more things quickly, almost more than I feel like we can actually handle kind of our biological selves. Like it's, it's almost too much input. And it's, it, I think that there's a lot of fear around so many of the issues. And I, I wonder from where you sit, if you feel hopeful around technology, just no, I mean, technology is here and it's not going anywhere, but just that we will be able to figure out, we're obviously in a transition of many kinds right now. And if from your point as somebody who has been around a long time and seen a lot of things, um, I think it's it's just interesting to get a point of view because people are mostly sold a ton of fear. And uh, and I just wonder if you get space now and again, and, and when you think about it, if, if there's a part of you that feels hopeful or if maybe maybe you are concerned i you know i i don't know oh we cannot be anything but concerned right now i mean and in the long term god only knows i mean we're in a very tough spot uh, as inhabitants of this earth and what we are doing um but on the other side of things all we can do is get ourselves straightened out so that we perhaps can help people who we encounter on a day-to-day basis. And Ramdas said it so clearly. He said that if we could straighten our hearts out, then we'd be able to radiate from a place that is so constructive to help other people reach that same place. Is that going to cure the ills of what's going on in the polarization the power politics and the fear and the wars and and the most critically, of course, what we're doing to our environment. Uh, we need to take action. And that first action is with ourselves, in, in my mind. At the same time, you're doing whatever you can do in, in, in social justice and hunger and homelessness and whatever anyone can do, we have to do that. But yes, we are in a very, very uh, difficult moment. Well, I appreciate that. So, Raghu, Marcus, thank you so much for your time. And uh, I, I look forward to talking to the two of you together because it is, it also makes it fun. You're talking about very, you know, kind of high minded spiritual ideas, you know, being more enlightened, being mindful. And yet, you know, the two of you do have a really, uh, you, you have a banter. So it, it makes it, it just is a lot of, a lot of fun. Thank you. We, we ground each other. We do that. <laughs> and have a lot of fun. <laughs> That's it. You know, I mean, there's a lot of fun in the book, the back and forth. Yeah. So thank you so much, Gabby. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you want to learn more, there is a ton of valuable information on my website. 
All you have to do is go to GabrielleReese.com or head to the episode show notes to find a full breakdown with helpful links to studies, research, books, podcasts, and so much more. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out and send them to at Gabby Reese on Instagram. And if you feel inspired, please subscribe. I'll see you next week. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.